Good morning, everyone. My name is Justin, and I'm an anchor here at OCC, and I have been serving on the First Impressions team and teaching elementary students here for over 10 years, and it's a uh, thank you. Thank you very much. And it's an absolute honor and privilege to uh, lead you this morning in the reading of God's Word, specifically in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. So if you would all please stand for the reading of God's Word, and I'll pick up the bookmark later. Finally, then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all of these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God, who gives this Holy Spirit to you. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more, and to aspire to live quietly, and to mind your own affairs, and to work with your hands as we instructed you, so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. All right. How's everybody doing? Man, Dave's right. It's been a, it has been a good, powerful, powerful morning. And I love Justin reading. And he's been around a while. I, I knew him, I think the first time I ever met you was your baptism at, at RCC, uh, which is a long time. I don't even know if I was on staff. Like I was even, I just remember meeting you and you were with BCM. Y'all, you didn't even know her, right? Back then? Didn't, yeah. Very, very, and now just a whole, you could have your own church, you got so many kids. Um, but thanks, Justin, you read so well. And man, it's been great. Has it been, who's been a part of like City Group's been doing the whole thing in First Thessalonians? Have y'all dug that? Like, has that been good? Give me a shout if you think it's a good thing. Uh, it really has been awesome. Like just even doing it with students and having it kind of go down in City Group's and, and having these discussions just simply digging into the Word of God and going, hey, you know, let's, let's do this. Let's talk about what, you know, what are the implications. If it's true that the Word never re returns void, then let's, let's read it to one another and have a discussion about how it affects our lives. And uh, the stories that have been coming out have just been incredible. You know, I talked about in, in our first gathering um, that some of y'all might know Edna. Uh, she's in the Johnson City Group, but she, she said she got prayed for a few weeks ago by Ann. She said COPD. It took her a while to even think. She's like, I haven't been able to breathe really well. And she sat, sat back for a minute since 1989. Uh, and we all were just like, wow. And she's like, and I got prayed for. 
And she just took a deep breath while we were in our pre-gathering prayer and, and let out. She says, I've not been able to do that for that many years and I can do it now. And I don't know, God's healed me. And we just celebrated and everybody cheered. So let's cheer for Edna because God restores people in so many different ways. He's, he's a redeemer. He's a, he's a healer. He's a restorer. And we should be celebrating this, those things. And I love that, that's, that she's getting prayer in, in her city group. Um, that she considers this family. Uh, if you, I mean, she, I, she should like work for the church just as a marketing representative. I mean, she tells everybody about OCC and uh, we love that. And yeah, I mean, who wouldn't? You get healed um, and God does something powerful in your life amongst a certain group of people. Um, you tend to call them family and you love them a lot. But, you know, as we dig into this passage, if you got your Bible, um, 1 Thessalonians chapter four, right at the very top, these first 12 verses, um, a lot of times, you know, when I'm thinking about what to say and, and I have, a, I have a, a way about, you know, kind of a systematic way I develop the way I teach um, and have learned over the years. And part of that is really as you uh, grab hold of the text, you're thinking, okay, how, what is this text saying to me? How is God speaking to me and, and through the text? And then how is, how is this speaking to our leadership, our staff, all of the people? And, and what is God saying to the church? And then what is, the, what is the question that we really need to ask that all of us can relate to? Like, what is the thing, you know, how do we build tension in here? How do I ask you a question that you desperately want answered? And then I'm giving you all my secrets. And then how do, like, let's, let's see how God answers that. Let's see how the word of God takes care of that. How the gospel actually is the solution to so many things in life. Um, and that Jesus is everything. Um, and... But, but as I was reading this text, I was like, man, I don't really have a lot of work to do because there's some big ideas in here. I mean, as we were reading, I mean, I was even thinking, I was looking at Mike, who loves theology, thinking, okay, how do we please God? Like, where, is that, how, where does that fit in the framework? Dan McFerrin, another elder, I was like, he's like, oh yeah, let's see what he does. He's gonna screw this one up. Um, but how do, like, how do we get around that? Like we say in, in here a lot, I mean, our, our vision statement is, that we exist to invite anyone and everyone into the unending ocean of grace that comes through Jesus alone, right? Like that's, that's our thing. So is it possible that we can still bring God's wrath towards us or bring his pleasure towards us based on our behavior? I mean, that's a big thing. Like how, how, do, we, how do we even have that discussion? Because if our, our sins past, present and future were dealt with at the cross of Jesus Christ, when he said it is finished, that, that means he paid for it all. Was the cross not good enough? Is there, is there other things that we can do to add to our status before God? Or is all of our approval set? Is all of our righteousness set? Does he, when he sees me, he sees Jesus according to scripture. So what is this whole pleasing God thing? Like when I read that, it's, it's one of those things that I'm like, okay, how does this all work? Like when you hear, because the Apostle Paul's saying it very directly. I mean, let's look at it. Okay, the question obviously that, that we're gonna answer today and that we're gonna look at is, what does it look like to please God? For you and I to please God. How, what, what, is, what, is, what, what is it that I could do to bring God pleasure? And is there anything I can do to bring his punishment, right? So right off at the very beginning, it says, finally then, brothers, and he's speaking to, again, the Thessalonians, he's, he's speaking or uh, writing this letter from Corinth. And he, these are fairly new Christians. I mean, from what we know and what we've been studying. 
And so he's, he's talking to them and he's encouraged them, gotten excited with them. Um, but he's re been really happy that they've uh, been faithful, that they haven't walked away from their faith or let anything come in and taint their faith into something that uh, wouldn't be Christianity. He's really excited about that. But then he says, finally, then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk. So he's, he's saying, you've learned from us how to live your life. Like, it's not just about, okay, you, be, you, you became a follower of Jesus. You've, by faith, accepted that Jesus is the Son of God. Not only is he the Son of God, but he is God himself who died for you. And instead of, you know, thinking you, you would pay for your own sins, Jesus paid for your sins. You believed all of those things, but now he's talking to them. He says, okay, now let's talk about what it looks like to live. How do we live on planet Earth? How do you walk, at, walk your life out as, as a follower of Jesus? So he says, you received from us how you ought to walk. And then he says, and to what? And to please God. So obviously part of what walking out your faith is, is how do you walk and please God? Just as you are doing. So he's saying, hey, a lot of what you're doing is very pleasing to God. He says that you do so much, uh, that you do so more and more. He's like, I want you to do more of, he wants to highlight the positive things that they're doing in their walk the things that he is highlighting that they're doing that are, are pleasing God. Now, when I, th I see this, I'm, I'm thinking, can, can I please God with my obedience? I mean, this is a, a difficult thing. Again, if we think about the gospel, and, and for, for if you've been around, it's, I love how quiet it is. Start talking about pleasing God and holiness and sanctification. Everybody's like, man, I thought this was the ocean of grace. I came here because it feels nice. Um, sinners. Um, no, you got to talk of like, we have to, there, there's, when we find these things in scripture, how do we, how do we reconcile the gospel that, G, that we, we did nothing to be saved. We didn't earn our salvation, right? For by grace, you've been saved through faith, faith, not of works. Why? Lest any man should boast. This is a gift, not, not something that you buy, not something that you earn, right? It's the gift of God. So what does it look like for me now to please God and to walk in a, in a, in a, in a manner that's worthy of the gospel, he would say in, in the earlier chapter in, in 1 Thessalonians chapter two. What, what does that look like? I mean, and how do we reconcile that and kind of work our way around it? Because I think sometimes when we read passages like this, we either, you know, go, okay, I'm gonna, Breeze by that, there must be a different trans. That word please has is, is got to be different in the Greek. Um, how do I bring pleasure to God or not bring pleasure to God? Well, John Piper says it this way, and I think it's, very, it's super helpful. It doesn't resolve everything for us, but he uh, looks at this passage and others where it, we, where it talks about pleasing God and the, our walk being pleasing to God. He says, sometimes people are careless and speak despairingly of all human righteousness. He says, sometimes people are like, hey, you can't be righteous. I just can't do anything right. I can't do anything good. And that's why the cross exists. That's why Jesus came. I'm just, you know, a, you know, a, a beggar trying to show the other beggars where the bread is. I'm never gonna do anything good. I'm not gonna get any better. But thank goodness Jesus is gonna be, he's coming soon and I'm gonna be in heaven and it'll all be taken care of. But while I'm here, I'm just gonna be a mess. I'm just gonna be a wreck. He says, sometimes people are careless and speak despairingly of all human righteousness as if there were no such thing that pleased God. 
They often cite Isaiah 64, 6, which says that our righteousness are as filthy rags. In other words, our righteousness as payment for sin is filthy rags. But does that not mean that God does not produce in us us justified people, people that are followers of Jesus before and after the cross and experiential righteousness that is not filthy rags. Is it possible that there is something that we have that we bring to the table that pleases God? In fact, he does. And this righteousness is precious to God and is required, not as the ground for justification. That's the, that's the distinction here, which is right, the, the righteousness of Christ only, but as evidence of our being truly justified children of God. So what he's saying here, and what we're, we're looking at as we even look at this, what does it look like to please God, is that this idea of sanctification, holiness, and righteousness working itself out in the human life sometimes gets a bad rap. Because one of the things, right, off the, right at the very beginning, what does it look like to please God, is holiness. Number one, I put holy, which is one of those things. It's, it's like, it doesn't even sound like we're talking at OCC. It's like, man, we always talk about this. It's like, how do you please God? Holiness. Holiness pleases God. Sanctification, which is the, the process of me becoming more like Christ. Me becoming more like Christ. It's not that we don't stumble and fall along the way. It's not that we all of a sudden instantaneously we become Christians and then all of a sudden we have to hide all of our sin because we want the outward part of ourself to, be, to, to look perfect. No, sanctification would be the process of God changing us from the inside out because you are now full of the Holy Spirit and he's changing you. So holiness, look at verse two. He says, for you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, process of becoming more like Christ. You start in one position. Think about this church. They're young church and they're in a highly sexually charged culture, much like our culture. They got all kinds of problems. They got all kinds of things that are going on. A lot of potential landmines that are inside and all around the church. So the apostle Paul's talking to them and he's like, okay, you're, the you're on the beginning road of your sanctification. If you're wondering what type of life would be a God-pleasing life, then a one where you're in the process of sanctification. And then he talks about, okay, what are some of those things? He says that you abstain from sexual immorality that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. And I love that he makes that distinction because he makes this distinction with the Corinthians as well as he's speaking to the church. He's, he's leading them away from their prior sexual practices and in, in leading them to, hey, sex is a great thing between men and women in marriage. They, that was not, they, that, that had been an abandoned thing that was happening in the Roman Empire. I mean, it was just a kind of a free for all, whole lot of different thoughts when it came to what it meant to have a sexual relationship with another human being. And some was very, it was some damaging and hurtful. There was a lot of stuff surrounding that. And he's, he's throwing down some of the corrective action here. He says, but don't, don't act like the people that are around you. They don't even know how to do it like the right way. They don't, they don't even know what it looks like to, to do things the way that God designed them from the very beginning. And the apostle Paul would say to the Corinthians, I think in 1 Corinthians chapter five, he says, hey, don't look around at other people and start judging other people for the way that they act. 
that aren't followers of Jesus. They have no reason to choose the light. They'd have no reason to do things a different way because they don't know God. We need to look around inside the church and go, hey, what's wrong? We need to, things need to change. We need to stop the, the damaging behavior. So he says, like the Gentiles who do not know God, don't worry about them, but don't act like them. That no one transgress and, the wrong, and wrong his brother in this matter because the Lord is an avenger in all these things as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. Now, I gotta stop here as we're, we're looking at this. We're gonna just make this even messier. So we've got... To please God, we gotta be holy. We're gonna get somewhere and it's gonna be, we're gonna land in a good, a good spot. But sanctification is part of the process. Now, is that purchasing our salvation through our sanctification? No, but is God pleased in the, in the fact that we are pursuing righteousness? The answer to that question obviously is yes. But I wanna highlight something because it's in here and you can't just skip over it. It's about punishment. Because I've said in here that God is not, like if you're wondering, in the moment when you're like, if, if you sin, is God going to punish you? Like, is God punishing you? Is he coming, correcting you? Yes. But punishment for sin is, is, it's gone, right? The punitive damages, I've said this before, punitive damages of the, of the cross coming towards you have been taken care of by Jesus. If you're a follower of Jesus, then it's all, the cross was enough. There's not the cross plus I gotta make sure that I do it right because God might punish me for some extra stuff. But we've got this thing here in some of your translations, whoever has an NIV in verse six, we got a little bit of a problem. Anybody know what it is? What is it? Who's got the, I, again, I forgot my NIV. I did this, I had to grab, I grabbed Edna's Bible uh, last time. Anybody got an NIV? I know you do, somebody that I can just look at and read. You get a gold star. I love that nobody in the front row has a Bible. This is great. You're all fired. I'm kidding. <laughs> Just joking. Don't get upset. We'll have a meeting. All right. In verse six, it says, and that in, this no, that in this matter, no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. The Lord will, what? Punish all those who commit such sins as we told you and warned you before. You got a text message. Um, so your translation, now this is, what, this is, I just have to stop here and this is part of studying the Bible and what's good about understanding theology is so important. So. You come, I'm, I say I'm reading the NIV and I'm, this isn't that the NIV is wrong. It's just that we have to, you got to understand that there's, there's a translative thing that's happening coming up into our language, English, coming from the Koine Greek, or if you're in the Old Testament, it's coming up from the Hebrew. So you've got that word punish in the, the ESV, it's Avenger, I think in the King James and the New King, King, King James, it's Avenger as well. But I come across something like punishment, like it's, there's punishment coming for me if I don't act a certain way. Don't, don't let anyone transgress or wrong his brother in this matter or God's going to punish me. Now, the first thing that you wanna think when you, when you run across, you're like, okay, well, uh, theologically, it wasn't the cross enough. Like, uh, aren't my sins past, present, and future? Aren't, doesn't the cross take care of those? I'm a follower of Jesus. These people are followers of Jesus. Why is, God, why is there still punishment coming for 
somebody that's a believer for a potential sin or a past sin. Where's the, where's the confusion here? Well, what's amazing is that, and this is why I love reading in parallels. It's not that the NIV is wrong. It's that the, the terminology of punish there is, is different than the, when I say punitive nature and the punitive nature of God's wrath towards sin being absorbed in the cross of Jesus Christ, that's a different punishment. In fact, you go down to the actual translation and it's not punishment at all. It's what? What we see in the ESV. Because it's a word for word translation, not a by phrase translation. It's avenger or avenging. Different, different way and a different viewpoint. And do we, do we recognize why that's important? Because we, we begin to, to, to trail off in terms of theology if we all of a sudden start thinking, okay, the cross was enough, but... Like the cross was enough to take all of my sins, but when it comes to this particular sin, when it comes to these particular actions, then God's going to come and there's gonna be a different, a whole new set of punishment for those people. We never, the, the way that we see the cross of Jesus Christ is that it is enough. It wasn't, the Jesus came and died on the cross. He, he did everything, but there was a few things that his blood didn't cover. We know if we have good theology that that's not true. So then it forces us to go, okay, I gotta deal with and recon reconcile what I'm coming across in scripture. That's a better, to, to deal with it is a better way than, than to just jump over it and go, ah, I don't wanna deal with it. I wanna know what he's talking about. Well, one, I wanna, I, I wanna feel the seriousness of what, it, what he's talking about right here. He's saying, okay, I want these people to be holy. I want them to be set apart. I want you to be sanctified. And he says, hey, don't forget that this type, of, this type of behavior is damaging to people. Like, and he's talking about the, the things that are going on, like the, just the things that are, that are happening in this culture. He's like, don't, you, you wanna leave that stuff behind. Because God comes, you, you know what he does with people that are, that are forcing themselves on other people, people that are doing things in these, these distorted sexual practices. He's going to avenge those people that have been wronged. He's going to avenge those people that have been hurt. He's going to avenge those people that have been damaged. Now, in that viewpoint, I'm glad that's the kind of God that I serve, that, that doesn't allow those things to continue, one that comes after those that have been left behind in such a particular situation. But it changes the viewpoint when you think about it and you study it. So what does it look like to please God? It's this idea of holiness, holiness. Now, when I look at that, I think about, you know, what is the, how does that play out in my, you know, in my, in my everyday life? Like when I think about sanctification and holiness and does that all of a sudden mean that God's looking down and waiting for me to be this, like I'm kind of got to walk and be careful. Like, oh goodness, am I going to make a mistake and then I'm going to displease God? I'm going to walk and do this and then he's not going to be pleased? No. God, because of Jesus, I wear the righteousness of Christ. In other words, he unconditionally loves me, right? Now, I, I, I thought about this, this morning, just this morning. Several years ago, I was in college. I was walking, I, was, I had played baseball my first two years, got injured, was supposed to have surgery and go back um, after the summer, but I kind of just got, just drifted. I mean, in a, in a big way, just was like, my life kind of went in another direction. I was kind of depressed, was upset that I had a shoulder injury as a pitcher and just didn't have surgery, didn't go back, 
didn't really tell anybody, registered for classes at community college there in, in Tallahassee at TCC and was doing my thing and my life had kind of gone sideways. So I'm cruising across campus, going to a class I was probably not doing well in. Um, I got a cigarette in one hand, just kind of cruising, you know, doing my thing. And I see one of my lifetime mentors. Uh, he's the pitching coach at Florida State for, for years. Um, and I, I just immediately in my gut, I'm like, dude, I'm you know, cruising through here. I've seen a guy that thinks that I'm getting ready to go back down south to play baseball. And I'm cruising across community college campus with a lung dart heading to class, you know, just like, woo, you know? And so I run into him. He's like, hey, Derek, what are you doing? And I'm like, hold my cigarette off to the side of my leg right here, you know? talking to him and he's looking at me and he's, there's like smoke just reeling around my arm, <laughs> drifting across my face. Um, and he's looking down at the cigarette and looking at me. And no, I mean, I, I, I get it. Like if, if, I mean, the cigarette thing is like, you know, I don't want to come down on anybody. It's, you know, it's a struggle. I get it. But, but I'm sitting there and I'm just feeling it. Like he, everything about what was going on in my life, the way I was dressed, the cigarette, all of it was just communicating well, I guess he's not playing baseball anymore, you know, doing the thing. And he's just looking at me and looking down at the thing. And he's like, what, what the hell happened to you, man? I mean, just, just to be honest, what the hell happened to you? Where's your team? Why aren't you with your team? Like he wanted to know. And he was just, you could see the, the, the frustration and the sadness. And I'm just, you know, trying to, I don't know, man, I got injured and did all this. And we had a short conversation. Of course, by this time I burnt my leg and put the cigarette out. And all I could feel, I knew when I looked in his eyes, it wasn't that he, this guy hated me or was, was, was wanting, he, he just, I knew that he had higher hopes for me. I knew that he wanted better for me. And it wasn't that he was disgusted. He was just sad because he loved me. And he was thinking about what, what my potential was and where, where I was in life. And when we think about holiness, we're looking at a God who's, who's never gonna stop loving us, but wants something greater for us. Does that, does that make sense? It's just like when we, when we think about us being a parent and we're looking at our kids, I have proud moments thinking about my children like super proud moments, when they do things, when they act certain ways, when they, when they perform certain ways. I'm super pleased by what they do. I like it, it's amazing. But there's also things that they do that break my heart. There's moments and things that they go through that crush my soul, that make me sad, that are not pleasing. But is there ever a moment where I stop unconditionally loving them? Are the good actions or the bad actions, are the pleasing actions or the non-pleasing actions, do they have any bearing on my unconditional love for my children? Absolutely not. And so it is with God. He never stops loving you. He never stops pursuing you. He never stops wanting more for you. You see, it's, it's this unconditional love that's the, it's the hinge of the cross that will never be tainted by us thinking that we're going to do good works. In fact, I love what, the, what this article I read in Desiring God says it this way. The writer of Hebrews offers hope, asserting that God is ultimately pleased by what? His work in us 
It's really not our work. What God is wanting to see is that we would be transformed into the likeness of his son, that we would become more like Jesus. That gets him excited. He's not looking for what? Not our tainted good deeds. The things that we are going to pat ourselves on the back for and go, look what I have done. Uh, become whitewashed tombs like the Pharisees. It's not what he's looking for. He's looking for true transformation of Christ likeness because Christ is beautiful. He says, though they are necessary, these, these, this work in us is necessary to, to prove our relationship with him. And at the close of of this letter in Hebrews, the author prays this. He says, now may the, the God of peace who brought, again from the, who brought again from the dead, our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us. You hear that language? Which, that which is pleasing in his sight. So his work in us is what is pleasing in his sight. Through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. It's a whole different, whole different way of thinking about it. You know, what is the, there's a quote by Dallas, Witter, Dallas Willard. It's, it's a beautiful one. Do you know what I'm talking about? You're like, no. Um, grace, isn't, is, grace is not, um, Dan McFerrin knows it. Is it opposed to earning, right? Grace isn't opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. Grace isn't opposed to effort, it's opposed to earning. So in the world of the ocean of grace, the, the effort that we execute, that God, of course God wants effort. Of course God's wanting us to be sanctified. But are we going to earn our salvation? Never, because our sins have already been forgiven as far as the East is from the West. So we have to properly frame the first point in, in this idea of holiness and sanctification. The second thing that pleases God is the way that we love each other. Number two, loving. So one would be holy. Two, that these people, how would we please God? By being loving. In verse nine, it says, now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you. He's saying, you guys are killing it in this area. You guys are really great to one another. You are a representation for brotherly love. He says, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you were doing to all of the brothers throughout Macedonia. So in other words, he's saying, hey, not just in your area, but you guys have been treating the other people in your area, the people in need in Macedonia that are followers of Jesus, other churches, they've been very generous to. He says, but we urge you brothers to do this more and more. So these are the things that, that please God is that we would be sanctified, that, we would, that the, the work in us, God's work in us would begin to show that it would be a, be a part of who we are. But not only that, that we would love one another in the church. That, that, that's, that's the way that we would, would operate and act, act like. But, but, but again, let's frame it. Why? why? why what is the, how does that feel? Why does God want that? Why would that please God? Well, think of the, the illustrations that God himself uses. But he says, I want you to see me as a father. There's nothing as a parent, when you see your, like your kids love each other, it's, it's powerful. You know, a, a few weeks ago, maybe it was a month or so ago, Abe was down. I'm talking about sick, just you know, my, my uh, youngest son, um, all just whooped up in his covers, you know, upstairs with a fever um, and sweat, sweating it out, doing his thing. And, you know, my, my oldest son who, you know, he's 22 uh, in college, um, he's here, so somebody's laughing, somebody bugging him over here. 
Uh, oh, my youngest is and oldest right there. Uh, this is about them too. Um, and they don't know I'm gonna say this, so I'm in trouble. Um, so yeah, Jack's like, he's like a famous person in our house because you don't see him ever. It's like when he comes in, you're like, woo! You know, it's just like, it's awesome. That's why he's 20. If you, if you start to have older kids, it's who they are. They say like three words to you. And you're like, oh, really? What's going on? And they, they share their life with you and it's awesome. Um, but he came in, uh, Abe's upstairs, he's sick. And, and Jack comes in and he's got a smile on his face. And he's, got, he's got two smoothies with him. And we see him just walk in the door and dart upstairs. And I'm an idiot. I didn't realize what was going on right away. I'm like, what's he doing with two smoothies? Why is he running upstairs? And Beth's already crying. Because he's like, he got a smoothie for You know? And it is. It's like, it's the most amazing. It's like, it makes your heart explode. Like, they love each other. Look how much he loves his brother. It pleased us. And when God sees us, working. When God sees us together. I mean, think about, Aaron was talking about, it's like in the last five, you know, five years, it's, it's been a mess, man. Inside the church, the way people have treated each other, the way people have thought about one another, the way people have gone at it when it, when it comes to the way that we operate as church, church people, what we believe, who we vote for, all of that stuff has become the high point. And, and we've, we've forgotten that our firm foundation is Jesus. And we've forgotten how to love each other really well. Now, I'm really excited in this season of our church because I feel like we're getting back to that, where we become a people that, that love one another. When I think about Edna and I think about her healing, I mean, one of the things she talked about was just city group. She's like, I got a family. I got a whole nother family. I've got one, a, a group of people that... I didn't know three years ago. I didn't know these people. And now these are the people that are praying for me. These are the people that are taking care of me. These are the people that I depend on. These are the people that love me. And I can tell you what, it pleases God that that's the situation that, that Edna's in and her husband and that many of you are in. I think about just where we are in church. We've got... How many, I asked this question, I should know about two, 235. 235 in city groups. 235 people during the week, all reading the Bible to each other. And, and maybe we don't think that's a big deal. Maybe that's not something that we're really thinking about as a, but that, the, the, guess who hates that? The enemy hates that. That on Monday, on Tuesday, on Wednesday, on Thursday, that there's, groups of people in homes all over the beaches, some over the ditch that are reading the Bible just across to each other, maybe awkwardly, maybe not wanting to, their city group leader makes them do it, but it's powerful. It's how you're loving, showing up. Sometimes people are like, it doesn't matter if I show up to stuff. Like I just, you know, sometimes I don't, who, who cares if I'm there? It, it does matter. And not because the numbers look good, not because we're like, wow, we got so many people that are showing up for city group and the city group leader gets to mark them there. It matters to the person that you're reading to across from you that needs to hear the word of God spoken to them that they wouldn't have read or heard otherwise. It is powerful. And every time you guys do it, the enemy hates it. It's one of the ways that you love one another. It's the smoothie that we're bringing each other, right? Because some of the people in our group, like when you're in a group, sometimes you walk in and you're sick, spiritually sick, and you need, you need your brother or your sister to love you. 
And they sometimes don't even know it, but your presence and their presence matters because two or more gather, he's there and he's working. He's changing, he's transforming, he's healing. It's so good. If you're not a part of that, if church is just kind of a drive-in thing where you, you drop in and you kind of do your thing and you move on and do your other thing and you've got, it's you and, and you, you and Jesus and that's your relationship with God and you don't share that with anybody, well, first of all, that's sinful. It's not the way that the Bible would lead you to, that everything is written to, to you as a we. It's, it's fine to read scripture on your own. In fact, it's fantastic to read it. But if you read Ephesians, it was written to a we to be read collectively, to be studied collectively, to be, to, to, to be drawn on collectively. And we love one another by showing up for one another. And sometimes you're in the position where you're in need. And sometimes you're in the position where you have and you need to give to those who are, who are in need. And that's how we love one another. And guess what? In that, it pleases God. How crazy is it that we can please God? It's amazing to me. And it, instead of being this burden, it makes my heart happy and excited that that's possible for us. And it's how the, the rest of the world will look and, and they'll know God. Scripture says other people will know who God is by what? By the way that you love each other. They're gonna go, well, something's crazy over there because people are mean to each other in 2023, but those people are really, really nice to one another. That's rare. How is this possible? Jesus. And we get the point and say, this isn't us. The brokenness of us doesn't, doesn't do this, but the, the sanctified God working in us for, for, is changing us. And we love one another. Lastly, I love that this is in here. If you break this into three parts, this, this little passage, you've got you know, these, these, this section of sanctification is right at the top, love one another, and work. I love, they're kind of different things. Sanctification, holiness, loving one another really well, and hey, work hard. I love that it's in there. Working hard pleases God. Listen to this. It says, and we shouldn't just love one another, but we should aspire to what? Live quietly and to mind your own affairs. Every time we read it, I love that. Mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you so that you may walk properly before outsiders. People will see how you work and be dependent on no one. Don't be a mooch. I mean, there's so many practical things there. It's amazing. I love the way it says it in the message. It says, stay calm, mind your own business. Mind your business. Do your own job. Keep your eyes on your own paper. You've heard all this from us before. But a reminder never hurts. I love it. We want you living in a way that will command the respect of, outsi the respect of outsiders, not lying around sponging off of friends. I love it. Hard work, saying work hard. That's, as far as Christians, our reputation as people that work hard is important. God loves that. And the apostle Paul's highlighting is, hey, people, people on the outside, they notice that. Like when you, when whatever job you have, we should be great at things. I've said this before. We shouldn't be the people that are like, oh yeah, there's the rest of the world does it. And then Christians kind of do a, a so-called effort to, to do it okay. They're all worried about, the end times, so they don't really do their job really well. You know, they're going to the Christian concert tonight, so they got to leave work early. I mean, come on, that should not be us. Finish the project. How are you going to be regarded? And, and mind your own business. I love this. Be quiet. I love that it's like, hey, hey, just shut up and work. 
It's in there. It pleases God. He's like, God's looking down going, man, he is quiet and he don't talk smack and he works hard. And the reason God loves that, because God knows, hey, these are, you are the magnetic force through your brokenness that God is using to lead other people into the kingdom of God. So how you work matters. You know, what you do, you know, if you're a plumber, plumb well. You know, we need good plumbers. I don't care if you're a Christian or not, just plumb well, right? <laughs> don't put the fish on your car and be a crappy plumber. You know, I know I went off in the first gathering. I just said, don't put the fish on your car or an OCC sticker for that matter and stay out of the left lane with that thing. Gosh, ah, people, of course it's a Christian in the left lane just puttering along. We can please God. It won't change his unconditional love for us, but God wants the best for us. He wants to lead us in a way. He knows that the way of holiness and sanctification, when it comes to the way that we do, the way that we look at marriage, the way that we look at sex, the way that we look, I said this in the first, the sexual identity is such a huge thing. I mean, there's so much hurt surrounding the issue of sexual identity and it's kind of, and people are so, the, the stuff people are saying, uh, such anger on one side of the fence and, and just such reactions on the other side. And all I'll say is, how small are we thinking when we put sexual identity as the marker of who we are, when we're image bearers of the creator of the universe? To, to take our sexual identity, the fact that we're male and female or whatever people wanna brand themselves with and say, this is who I am and it's the most important thing about me, is a shame because you are an image bearer. You're so much more than that. That is, that is branding yourself with something so, so much less than what God has for you. And that's the world that we live in. So when it comes to sanctification and the world that God's placed us in, when we think about who we are as human beings, God's saying, hey, don't put that huge weight of sexual identity on your shoulders. You are an image bearer of the creator of the universe. Your identity is in Christ alone and that is it. That is it. And the way that you live and the way that you treat each other, especially when it comes to th these type of relationships, respect and honor one another. He says, grow in sanctification, grow in holiness, grow in honor and, and, and respect. Love one another in the church. Don't treat each other like garbage and work hard. Work heartily as unto the Lord, it says in Colossians 3, in everything that you do. He says everything. I love that he includes it all in Colossians 3. Whatever you do. That doesn't mean there's things excluded. Whatever you do, work heartily as unto the Lord. That's who you're working for, not human masters. So when you create something that's amazing, when you do something in your job, you're working for God himself. He leads us in that, in that place. And, and I love that, that God says this about Jesus and that, that, that God says this about us. He says in Colossians 1 that he was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in Jesus and send him to the cross to die for you and me so that you and I could experience a better way so that we could be more and more like Jesus, to know and understand that he's better when, when we think about sexual relationships and the way that sex takes place on planet Earth, Jesus has a better way. Friendship and community, he has a better way. Purposeful work, he has a better way. He wants freedom. You know, I think about 
the sadness I, I felt. Let's stand. We're, we're, we're done. Um, <laughs> the sadness I felt when I was walking across campus so many years ago um, and just the, the brokenness that I felt. And what's beautiful is I see the trajectory of my life and where I ended up. And, and, and again, I, I'm a whole new set of things that, that I'm walking through these days. But what I know now that I didn't know then is even in those moments walking across that campus in Tallahassee, Florida, that Jesus was pursuing me. He never gave up on me. He was running after me. He was saying, Derek, there's a better way. Through my friend, Mike McLeod, pitching coach at FSU, he was saying, there's a better way. There's a better way. I want, I want more for you. There's more, more, I got more in store for your future. I got more on the way for you. And he never gave up. He never gave up. He never gave up coming after me. He still hasn't given up because I walk away sometimes. So if you've come here today and, and you don't even know why you're here, I can tell you why you're here. Because he is a relentless pursuer of the broken. And he's here for you. Plain and simple. I don't care who invited you, your mama or whoever. She did a good job, but Jesus is the one that got you here. Don't push him away. Don't push him away. He's, he's inviting you to encounter him in a special way. So as we sing, let, let, your, let your whole, just release all of that stuff that you're thinking about, all those things you walked in here with, just let your whole countenance, your whole being just bend upward towards a picture of him in the cross. And his eyes, his gaze set towards you, breaking his body so that you could come home and let it change you, let it transform you in these moments as we sing.